Greetings humans and Happy New Year! Welcome to the third edition of Lefteris Ask Science. After the long Christmas break, I'm back and I have more questions than ever. I would like to thank all of you for the support for the first two episodes and I'm slowly starting to set up a better presence online, get more equipment to make the podcast sound better, so bear with me for a little while and soon all the communication channels will be open. For now, if you have any questions, suggestions or any comments about the show or anything, use the hashtag LefteriesAskScience in any of your social media and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and share it so that more questions will be answered. Now, on with today's episode, where I meet Dr. Angela Tam. Dr. Tam is currently a postdoctoral research fellow at the National University of Singapore, is mainly interested in developing neuroimaging biomarkers for neurodegenerative diseases and psychiatric disorders. What that means in a nutshell is that she looks at the brain and she tries to find out what makes people develop dementia and Alzheimer's. And that requires lots and lots of data in order to understand. And ultimately, she would like to create a robot physician that would scan you and find out what's wrong with you physiologically and then try to fix you. But that's even more data and the collaboration with different scientists with different principles would be in order. Dr. Tam is working with the brain and she's trying to predict the onset of Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Let's simplify the brain by categorizing two types of matters that exist in it. There's gray matter that contains most of the brain's neural cells. The gray matter basically includes all the regions of the brain that involve muscle control, perception, uh, like hearing, memory, emotions, speech, decision-making, and self-control. And then there is white matter. White matter is composed of bundles which connect the gray matter areas. Let's hear Dr. Tam talk about how she uses gray matter in her work. Basically, you can quantify how much gray matter um, a person has in each different brain region, um, and that can be like a sign of brain health. Um, so, like in Alzheimer's disease, what happens is uh, you see a lot of cell death, and so then you end up having less gray matter in your brain. And um, sometimes the the difference between um, a healthy older person and then a patient with Alzheimer's disease, like visually, it's actually quite striking. Sometimes, like you you can really like from an MRI sometimes like uh, that the person with Alzheimer's disease they have a lot less gray matter than someone who's like of the same age as as them but are cognitively um, very still capable um, or functional Um, yeah so I was trying to combine features from um, gray matter um, from MRI with a cognitive test to see if people who are Kind of considered in a prodromal stage of um, the continuum of healthy aging and Alzheimer's disease, so uh, people who have like mild cognitive impairment, um, if we can predict from a certain time point, like if they will later on um, progress to having dementia. But of course, there are different areas in the brain, and the amount of matter in each part has a different result. In Alzheimer's disease, it's there's like some stereotypical patterns of degeneration that happen. So um, a place that a lot of people have focused on in the past is the hippocampus. And so this is a brain area that is uh, very important for storing memories. 
you know, and so people who have Alzheimer's disease, this area tends to be very atrophied, right? So then they tend to lose their memory. Um, and that's a very uh, stereotypical uh, symptom um, in Alzheimer's disease patients. So, uh, but the thing is, like, there's a lot of variation in Alzheimer's disease. Um, so you have a lot of problems that come up, and that's probably due to atrophy in other parts of the brain, you know? So it's not like everybody who has Alzheimer's disease will necessarily have extreme atrophy in this, like, one particular area and stuff, you know? Like, people with Alzheimer's disease, they might have, like, primary progressive aphasia, um, where they have, like, language issues. Some people have um, problems, like, making decisions. So that's more, like, executive function problems. And um, so that can be due to atrophy in a lot of different areas of the brain. So as you see, things are not that clear-cut. There are different levels of atrophy and patterns that have, as a result, different types of cognitive decline. And here's slowly when we enter the robot physician territory, where I try to understand how she used machine learning to start classifying patients. Dr. Tam used two groups of data to quote-unquote predict if someone will develop dementia or Alzheimer's disease in three years. So basically she used MRI scans and cognitive tests where people were basically assessed on their ability to remember things and their overall cognitive ability. Think of a machine learning code as an athlete. An athlete that trained in a known environment first and then went for the main match with unknown parameters. So we had a training set and then we had a completely um, like fresh unseen test set. The training set was so Alzheimer's and um, healthy, uh, healthy people. Um, so they didn't have like mild cognitive impairment even. They were just like, um, quotes, completely cognitively normal. So that was, so we trained the model on that first and then we um, optimized some of the parameters um, on a data set of MCI patients. Um, so then it was classifying MCI versus, oh sorry, stable MCI versus uh, MCI people who had progressed to Alzheimer's disease dementia. And then, um, yeah, so that was our, our model. And then we had a completely fresh data set um, of people, of like different people who had MCI, and then we validated on, on that data set, yeah. Then I asked how sensitive her analysis is, basically wanting to find out how accurate the results from the study are. But then I found out once again that things are not that simple. So we were aiming for really high specificity and high positive predictive value. And the reason for that is because like accuracy, um, I find is not exactly the best metric uh, when it comes to performance. And the reason for that is because it's, it's like a really um, imbalanced class problem. So the amount of people who will um, develop Alzheimer's disease dementia, like from a pool of MC, uh, people with MCI, it's actually like, I don't know, pretty few actually. Um, so when you have a high accuracy, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean your model is good. It might just be saying like, oh, it's good at picking up that like most people are not going to have Alzheimer's disease dementia, you know? Um, so what we wanted to do was like have very high confidence predictions um, to say like, 
of the people that we say like, yes, they have Alzheimer's disease, dementia, um, we want to be really sure that they do. And we're just going to like ignore people that we're not very confident about or that we're like pretty sure that they don't have it. So it took me some time to wrap my head around the difference between sensitivity and specificity of the models. When a test is very sensitive, it will correctly identify as many patients as possible, also known as the true positive rate. If a test is very specific, it will correctly identify non-patients, also known as the true negative rate. So if you're specific, then these people can be part of a clinical trial for therapies. Because Imagine how bad it would be if they spent time and money on a clinical trial on people that will, in the end, not have Alzheimer's or dementia. So models like that of Dr. Tams help avoid that from happening. She also says that the ideal model would be both sensitive and specific, but there's a trade-off between them and it's not always possible. Dr. Tam has used machine learning in order to analyze the data that were available and machine learning actually helped her handle that big amount of data that she would otherwise not be able to handle and analyze. But even with machine learning, there are different ways that you can tell a story, supervised and unsupervised machine learning. I think maybe it's easier to understand supervised first. Okay, so supervised machine learning is where you tell your model like what's correct and like what's not. So let's take like a two-class classification problem. Um, so yeah, like in this case, like Alzheimer's disease versus uh, control. So you know you have your training set, and then you tell your model people A, B, and C, like person A, B, and C, like they're uh, Alzheimer's disease patients, and then um, E, F, G their uh, controls. And so then your model will learn like what makes it so that A, B, and C are, well, are Alzheimer's exactly like our Alzheimer's disease and what, what is a profile of a healthy person who's a control. Um, so in unsupervised machine learning, you don't like have any of those like answers. So what would be used in this type of machine learning is just to like have the data kind of like aggregate itself um, so basically, if you have A, B, and C, the algorithm will say, okay, these people have similar attributes. Yes. I don't know what it is, but... Yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's just like, and you, they might just like group them like okay. together or something, you know. So so for part of my project, trying to characterize like different patterns of neurodegeneration. Okay. So what I did was I used unsupervised machine learning to uh, kind of group people together based on uh, their brain patterns and how their gray matter was distributed in their brain. So I could kind of see that some people uh, had a lot of um, atrophy in their medial temporal lobe, so that includes the hippocampus that I was talking about. Um, there are some people that had uh, more um, visual cortex atrophy, and so yeah, so I could see that some people were like clustered together um, just based on different brain features. Yeah. So I feel like if I didn't have machine learning, I wouldn't be able to do that part of my project, you know? I think my project would have been very different. Um, it'd have to be more hypothesis-driven. Um, I'd have to, I don't know, uh, look at past literature to be like, okay, well, it seems like, you know, there are certain patterns of neurodegeneration in people, and I will 
yeah, manually try to class people myself, yeah. be like they have this pattern based on some kind of metric, I guess. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think um, I think that's kind of limiting actually, because I'd rather have the data tell me what's there instead of me trying to see what I think is there. You yeah. know. So. You eliminate your. Your biases. Your biases. Yeah. That's it for another quite dense edition of Lefteris Ask Science. I understand that these podcasts have a lot of information in them, but uh, bear with me. I have plans for the future to make this podcast easier to understand using some visual aids by increasing the sound quality of the podcast and, of course, by me getting better at this. I'd like to thank Dr. Angela Tam for her time and her impressive patience that she had with my questions. Please share this episode and subscribe to the podcast. Until we meet again, take care and be kind.